Welcome to the April 14th edition of the PFF Forecast. This is an awesome, another awesome episode. We have two-time Executive of the Year, Thomas Dimitrov. He's joining us today. It's it's hilarious. He he showed up. He is in a an undisclosed location, um, and he's going to tell us more about it. It's a lot of fun. It's a great podcast. Let's rock. We're getting closer to the draft, man. Last time we talked, we had not yet established the Justin Fields pick number three syndicate. I, before we get to Thomas, I just want to check in. How are you feeling now that we have put it in motion? Yeah, so if it, and we were lucky. I well, lucky. No, we were not, not lucky. We were sharp. <laughs> but but I, I went over to uh, our favorite uh, casino over here in Indiana. Um, brought my friend, the Muscle, stood in line with me so we can get enough down. Um, but we have we are the o- owner of a fair amount of a plus nice two fifty plus two fifty tickets, which are now, by the way, if you look at our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, um, plus one fifty. Oh, so uh, a nice little nice little movement there. You're welcome. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm happy with that. I'm actually like I put another when I saw the movement yesterday go down. I put I put my last bit. Uh, back on when I the last time I saw an out with 250 I put it back uh, even more so um, I, I think I'm content with all the draft props that I and I, I showed you the the yeah. sheet of degeneracy I, I was worried that we weren't gonna be able to get enough down uh, I was I was sitting there with I brought some muscle with me I was sitting there ready to hit send on Venmo just expecting your text to be like now nah, they kicked me out <laughs> <laughs> but we persisted. Nevertheless. You're welcome. And on draft night, we'll be feasting on closing line value. I will. Medium rare. Medium rare. I, I'm to the point where I'm happy with whatever happens. Given. Do you want to start a wine company called Cleave? Cleave, yeah. Closing well, line value. You, you know, know Josh Hermsmeyer would be in yeah. on that. Do you know, by the way, who, who would probably love some wine called Cleave is Thomas. I, I really enjoyed this interview. I thought that he was... Um, very open with, you know, even some things that, you know, he was very open with like his whole career and the whole mm-hmm. process and things that like he's been ripped for in the past, things that he's been uh, lauded for in the past. I thought it was a very, very good interview. We're going to get to that interview in just a second. Before we do, I need to remind you, beautiful people, that when the draft comes around on the 29th, you want to be right here at PFF. PFF.com is where the PFF Draft Show live is going to be occurring, and there will be a live pick-by-pick analysis scrolling up on the screen as you're watching, listening to everyone other than myself. I'll be there, don't worry. Um, listening to all of our analysts talk about the draft, breaking it down from a team perspective, from the player analysis perspective. Chris, Mike, Eric, Austin, Steve, Sam, the whole crew is going to be there. It's on pff.com. It's starting at 7 p.m. on Thursday evening, and then we're obviously rolling through with Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour before the draft starts, and we'll also have shows live on Saturday and Sunday. So pff.com is your place to go for the draft show live when it starts happening. To prepare, though, you need the draft guide, and that comes with a PFF Edge subscription. It's just 40 bucks for the whole freaking year. And if you're going to not get it now, I, don't, I just don't know what you're doing because the draft guide, it prepares you for the draft. It prepares you for the season like no other. So go make it happen. Head to pff.com 
and get what you need. We've got it for you. And now, two-time executive of the year, Thomas Dimitri. All right, we are really excited. It's been a couple of uh, weeks, months in the making to get Thomas Dimitrov, a world traveler, as it, as it appears right now in an undisclosed location. Thomas Dimitrov joining us. Thomas, thank you so much for hanging out. Where are you right now? Gentlemen, first of all, thanks for having me. I am in the middle of uh, between Boulder, Colorado and Atlanta at a truck stop somewhere in Kansas. <laughs> and uh, I knew this would be an ideal spot, given the fact that it was reminiscent of my days beating the, the path for some football players. So here we are. Yeah, no kidding. It's got to be a different, I mean, this time of year, especially for us, you know, it's like, it's a people go, it's the off season. You should be relaxing. It's like, <laughs> are you, what are you talking about? Like, this is the most busy time of the year, you know, with, with the draft coming up. And so we're very jealous of the fact that you are, um, you showed us, you have like seven, you have like seven bikes in this sprinter van. Yeah. I, absolutely living the life. Um, so here's what we, uh, you know, it's not too often that we have someone who was a part so intimately of our of our past. So Thomas, we are we have bet on the Atlanta Falcons more times than any human should ever have in their lives. And as I'm sure you are aware, no team has ever ever caused more pulling out of the hair follicles than the Atlanta Falcons. In both ways, right? Like there have been there are, they the Falcons just don't play normal games. No, they're like never. There 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 isn't like a I remember maybe the first time we ever bet on Atlanta, you guys beat Green Bay by like 30. And it like we got sucked in. And then <laughs> after that, it was like every game was a nail biter, win or loss. Uh, so the irony of you being basically, to my knowledge, the only GM that has ever had a good haircut for the team that has probably caused more people to pull out their hair than anyone else. I, I just think it's ironic. And I am glad that you are keeping up the hair, even though you're traveling across the country. One thing I do want to add here, Les Snead likes to battle with the hair. Oh, really? And Les Snead has pulled out some hair with the Rams over the years, right? You know, he's a good friend of mine, and I would, I would, I would uh, argue that. So that's a good thing to know. No, look, the reality is I've been back and forth between Atlanta and Boulder. I have a home in Boulder, and I love getting out there. And so I, I figured I would just get some really good time on the road going back and forth. Everyone asked me why I'm not flying. Of course, Eric and I have had a number of conversations. He's like, man, don't you have anything else to do probably? But, you know, the reality is I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I get a chance to really get my head into a lot of different subjects, which I haven't been able to do as a general manager. Obviously, there's a lot lot on the plate in that position. No, it's, um, it, it's something that Eric uh, is well attuned to, which is the talking on the road. <laughs> because every time Eric calls me, he is in the middle of driving somewhere also. So I feel like that makes yeah. sense that you guys get, I think, get along perfectly. I think given even before I knew you personally, I sort of knew like your backstory and how much you liked things other than football. It, it, it's no surprise to me that you would prefer time on the road listening to books on tape or podcasts. Uh, you're probably – I don't know. How, how unique would you say you are as far as football people in that in that realm? You know, I, I think I had mentioned this recently on, on Mike Silver's podcast, and I'm a big fan of I, Michael's very intelligent, does a great job with a lot of different areas. And we were talking about this very thing. And I said, one of the, the myths that I think needs to be debunked about the NFL and about ex NFL executives, Eric, is there are a lot of people with a lot of interests 
for some reason, they feel like they're supposed to keep them aside and not talk about them. And the reality is of this newer generation, I believe, respectfully to older generations in this job, newer generations are coming out being a lot more open about their balanced life and how important it is. We all know the importance of having a balanced mind, body, and soul, not get hokey here, guys. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that, I don't think you can truly do the, the job the best that you can. Of course, you have to be focused. And of course, certain times of year, you have to be myopic with regard to building the team. But I think it's really important. And I think my interests over the years have changed and adjusted different times. I've always been an outdoor enthusiast in many, many ways. And we can get into that another time, the specifics of it. I have a lot of friends in this industry are really interested in, in learning and reading, uh, whether it's podcasts or reading about uh, and, and traveling and interacting with other sports around the world, which I think is fantastic and very open-minded of a lot of football people in this world right now. So what I'd say is a lot of people that think those football people just stay there until, you know, midnight every night and have nothing else besides, you know, spending some time with their wife and their kids. I think is wrong. I think there are a lot of people with a lot of really good minds in this league, and I think they need to continue to cultivate them. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. Actually, it's something that I and we've talked about this before. It's like I found myself in the middle of the season going, "Wow, I haven't learned anything in yeah. in in like four months. <laughs> what am I doing? You know, like how could I be good at my job if all I'm doing is getting the job done and then passing out?" Absolutely, and I think that it's hard to evolve that way if you don't sort of think about things from a different lens. So like, you know, if you're reading about behavioral economics, that can help you with the draft. If you're reading about, you know, psychology, that can help you, you know, evaluate players and stuff. I mean, has has that really, Thomas, when you're talking about your draft strategy, how, how what would you say when you did your first draft uh, at the, you know, back half of the last, you know, two decades ago to now when you're sort of evaluating it now, how much would you say that that has evolved and, and what were the sources of the evolution? Well, that's a great, that's a really great question. Those early years, of, of course, being around Bill Belichick and Scott Pioli and everything that I learned about, you know, team building albeit at a mid-management spot as a personnel director and college director with them, I learned a lot. And I, and I knew that I had a, uh, you know, again, humbly a, a very good feel for evaluating and doing what I thought was necessary. Those first two or three years with Mike Smith as the general manager and co-team builder, you know, we were obviously nowhere near as, as in tune as I would say I am now, even after being dismissed you know, through all of my interactions with, with you all. Honestly, Pro Football Focus has been a really important addition um, to um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people in this league, of course. And and it was, for me, the, the evolution of learning not just about how to put together a team and how, how to decide on acquisitions, be they, you know, pro acquisitions or college to the draft, um, but a lot of other elements that we were throwing darts at too often years ago. Uh, we all felt like we had a really good feel for it and a good eye. Those of us who thought we were good and had a little bit of a swagger about that. <laughs> but today, being able to supplement those really strong eyes and those really strong talent evaluators with some very sound uh, information that you all provide. This isn't just to pitch you guys. I'm I'm, I'm speaking from the bottom of my heart this way, that is the, that is the case. More and more analytics departments, you know, popping up in these organizations, 
are wildly important for, you know, the, the effectiveness of how you put together a team. And uh, I'm excited and I'm excited not only for my evolution personally, but I'm excited for the league's evolution because I think shooting from the hip is no longer, or it's more of a thing of the past these days. I think there's a lot more at stake. Uh, so it's so much more important to make sure that you have all the information that you need to make the right choice. What, um, so you said shooting from the hip, like what's the best example of that in the past? And like, what's maybe the big thing what's the big thing that analytics or math might have changed? Like if you were to point, pinpoint one thing and go, okay, this is the thing that I used to think or that the league used to think. And now, holy cow, like I can't imagine. I now think this way. Well, I, I think let's go back to for so long, there was always that feeling in those scouting rooms and then with the coaches in there with the scouts, it was, you know, whoever had the loudest, loudest voice at times and maybe it wasn't always the loudest voice. It was, I just, I just feel it in my heart or I feel loudest it in my hair. gut, right? You obviously can't pull that off anymore. There is no way. I mean, okay, maybe a head coach and a GM can when they're talking to the owner a little bit or in a very small circle. But when you have that many people who have been studying a draft class or a free agency class for 14 plus months, there is no way they can just suggest because they've watched, you know, a handful of, 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 of games that they are going to say, I just feel it deep inside. There's something I feel about that. So to be able to pull in, you know, the, the, the background with all of what, for instance, you guys provide, um, that goes such a long way when you're, when you're trying to prove your point. So me, as a former general manager and, and, and sitting down with the head coach and his staff, it's so important to be able to have a, a strong foundation and, and strong evidence of something beyond just, hey, man, I've been coaching this position for 25 years. <laughs> I know this kind of linebacker. Yeah, yeah. This is the guy that hits. That no longer carries its weight. And, and I think you still have to never uh, forget, you know, what you know as an evaluator, as a coach, everything that we've learned over the almost 30 years of, of my um, experience in this business, to, to know that it is more than that. And to be able, and, I, and Eric and I had this talk the other day, to be able to have those conversations with strong evidence uh, backing your opinion goes so much further in dissuading or persuading, you know, people on a coaching staff, your owner, whoever else it may be who are real opponents to a point you're trying to prove. It's, it's just so much more, I mean, effective to be able to do it that way. And, and that is one thing that I love is not just, again, shooting from the hip. I think we've evolved. Well, and I, I think that that's such a great point, right? Because ultimately, you know, we've had this conversation with people who have worked for teams where somebody will say, Hey, I really liked your podcast. And I am like, Oh shit. And I go back and listen and I'm like, did I rip this, this team? And well, let's, let's be fair. Okay. <laughs> if it's someone from the Vikings, the answer is yes, probably. But the, <laughs> but then you realize that like these teams are not monoliths, right? They're, you know, the general manager might have an opinion about a player and a coach might have an opinion about a player. And it's within different realms of the organization that that 
uh, decision-making gets deployed. So maybe you as the GM signs the player, but then the coach plays him in a different scheme than you had intended. And so when you know, somebody is like, well, I don't know if I like that signing by the Falcons or whomever, the GM might say, yeah, if, if you are going to play this particular defense, I don't like the signing I made either. Mm-hmm. And, and you sort of like, think about that. If you realize, if you sort of look back and say, teams are full of humans too, just like PFF, like, I don't agree with everything we do and you don't agree with everything we do within our own cup. Like it, it's it, the human aspects be, you know, comes more to light. And then the, the part is, you know, these, this information and synthesizing it well can help not only, I think, make you guys, you know, make teams more efficient, but also make teams more unified in the, de- in the decisions we're making, like C- commitment, right? Like yeah. I can disagree, but then commit if I can get behind the reasoning. Right. Whereas if I'm just like, if, if I just feel as though my opinion just got outranked, it's going to be really yeah. hard for, for me no to reason other than opinion. something made up. Yeah. yeah. It was funny, Thomas. I want to ask you this because I heard a story about Steve Ballmer when he would be, he would be doing like a product meeting at Microsoft or whatever. And someone would be given a passionate, you know, detail of this new product component or whatever it is. And he would stand up and he would just go, well, do we have any data? <laughs> Because if we're just going to make decisions based on fucking opinions, it's going to be my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that is similar to the GM. And talk to me a little bit. In many cases, the owner, by the way. Or the owner, yeah. Which could be even worse in many cases. How does that – and you had – you got to work with Arthur Blank, who's probably different from a lot of other owners. But how does that kind of work within the structure of the GM? How did did you – how did you make sure – because you have a lot of power – to not just be the person that handed down an opinion? Well, as you know, that back in the day, there were GMs who didn't have the background of, of player evaluation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, were more had, had hired the people around them who had really strong opinions and really strong evaluation prowess. I mean, prior to me getting to um, Atlanta, Rich McKay, who's very adept at what he does, of course, chair of the competition committee, very mm-hmm. well respected. His background wasn't personnel evaluation. His his background was legal. He had a lot of great people around him, you know, at Tampa. They went a Super Bowl, uh, using his him as an example. Great deal of respect for you know what they did there and in, in his his building ability. Um, that was different then. Now most every general manager most have a really strong background in personnel and, and evaluation. And with that that being the case, it's almost like they can't get buffaloed, that's the wrong word, or hoodwinked mm-hmm. by a group of you know personnel evaluators that are in the room because they will, ch- they will have a check and balance. So as mm-hmm. a GM and my role as a GM, that was a, a very important part of my job to make sure that I was a strong check and balance with our personnel directors, with our national scouts, with our regional scouts, and with with our area scouts. And beyond that, which is a whole other topic and a very important topic that Eric and I have also talked about, where coaches settle in this, right? Because the coaches are and should be a very important part of the evaluation process. That said, in no way should they overrun. I'm, I'm I'm not even talking about the head coach guys. I'm talking about the, the, the coordinators and the, and mm-hmm. the uh, assistant coaches, position coaches, it's all coming together and working together. And I think as a general manager in charge of that, of the in, entire acquisition element has to have a really good understanding of 
who's strong where and what part of evaluation mm-hmm. and who who is lacking, who's a better research guy, who's a better evaluator of O-line, D-line. You have to really understand the lay of the land so that you can weight opinions a little bit differently. I say that purely from an evaluation, you know, videotape evaluation. That's one thing. Think about how much more comfortable we are as general managers as we start getting much more you know, sort of beta data, data behind us, mm-hmm. right? Where we can say, I understand that, but A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z is is a known fact. That really makes that conversation, again, whether it's with coaches or whether it's with personnel men, much more efficient and effective in my mind. I would say more and more of the general managers, and by the way, Eric, we've also talked about this, it, it warms my heart to see some of the old school GMs who weren't really into that 10 years ago, that being, you know, analytics and a really sort of academic approach to it. And I feel like there's so much more understanding to it now and understand the reality and the, 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 uh, the usefulness of, of, of really having a very sound department within their organization. So um, that is important. Again, at last thing as a general manager, I think, being able to sit there when you make decisions, not only those acquisition decisions, but we could segue into discussions about about you know really sitting down, looking across from our owner Arthur Blank at the time mm-hmm. and saying, yes, Arthur, it's worth trading up you know 21 spots for Julio Jones, and here is why. Mm-hmm. There is no way as a general manager today I could deliver that to Arthur, and he'll say, wait a minute, is that really worth all of this compensation? And I just say, yeah, I just have something. There's just something <laughs> about this guy that I really like. Interesting. Um, one of the things that we did there, which was really, really important to me, um, uh, Carl Pierberg, who you both may know, yeah, Carl's yeah. very talented. And he Carl's was great. one of our main main technology people way back, back when he st- first started dealing with you guys. Was that in the 11, I think? Yeah, I want to say Quite 10, 11, yeah. Yeah. Well, we did we did a lot of work analyzing – you know, the success rates of all the picks that we were involved with potentially moving in that Julio Jones trade. That was a lot more settling for me than just saying, I don't think that many fourth rounders really start in this league. Mm -hmm. We had categorical information that allowed me to continue to deliver to our owner. And at that point, you know, our, our head coach, Mike Smith, he and I were partners and to the rest of the organization and any of those in the media who really wanted to know that we thought good and hard about that move. Yes, it was big. Yes, it cost us a lot. But we also knew that in the end now, and I say that humbly, we would never have done anything differently. We needed and wanted Julio Jones to be a very important part of our organization moving forward. And we used analytics to help make that decision. Was there there anyone that, so I I vaguely remember hearing a story that was it Belichick? You called Belichick and asked him if he would do the trade. Well, we were we were uh, you know every year we would talk before the draft mm-hmm. uh, after I had uh, left uh, New England, and I had a great deal of respect for for both Bill and and Scott Pioli, of course. Yeah. And you know before the draft, I had just given him a call. It was in Michael Holly's book. I don't know if you ever read uh, Michael yeah. Holly's book yeah. on uh, it was War Room. Michael's a very talented writer, and. Uh, you know, he had actually interviewed Bill on it, but I had, you know, I talked to Bill and I was just basically presenting the idea. Hey, look, this is a big move that we're thinking about doing. 
and, you know, and I laid it out to him. And of course, you know, everyone has different opinions. And what he always taught me and, and he and Scott was no matter what anyone says, when you're sitting in that GM role seat and role, no one knows your organization better than you. So I can say that I might not do this with Julio Jones, or I might not do this with this player or that player, but you know your business better than anyone. And so we had a discussion about whether it was the right thing to do. And one of the things he said is, you know, this move will be attached to your hip for the rest of your career. Are you ready to take that on? <laughs> I remember going through the entire conversation and again, always a very unbelievably insightful conversation for 40 plus minutes or whatever it was, you know, that day before the, uh, of the draft, I think it was of the draft or just before the draft. And uh, I remember hanging up the phone, telling him basically, look, if I do do this, please have all due, you know, all yeah. due respect. It was not me being disrespectful. I just, I know this organization and we'll make a decision. I remember hanging up the phone saying, I feel like I'm at a crossroads here when the best coach arguably <laughs> in the history of this league and team builder tells me like, eh, I don't, you know, to, to possibly dissuade. And I'm saying no to him of all people. Yeah, right? I'm basically gonna, I'm basically go the middle finger this, to Bill Belichick. Well, That's and what she did. This, this, this is a, this is a good topic because ultimately, I mean, we can talk until we're blue in the face about process versus results. And, you know, we could talk about it in an academic world, but how do you deal with the fact that the process is how you do everything, but, but the results are what you live with. And especially when it comes to Julio, like, you know, Julio ended up being worth like seven wins above. I mean, he's one of the best receivers of all time. So that's a, you know, but obviously, you know, when somebody like Belichick wants to talk to you about the process of trading for him and whatever, it's ultimately you that lives with the result and the results in football and in drafting are only loosely related to the process. You're, you're squeaking out 45 or 55, 45 edges here. Like, how do you deal with that uncertainty? Because it has to be, Extreme, like there's a the discipline that has to go with making sound decisions yeah. when results are results I and mean, once the ball leaves your hand you have no control over it i mean how how excited must have you been to see julio jones be really freaking good on a football yeah, yeah. field <laughs> well no that, that's a, it's it's a great point both of you guys i mean yes very excited how he how he played over the years and and you know there were times of course when he was battling some of his, his injuries and mm -hmm. I was concerned about the longevity. Of course, he's done some amazing things. And, and again, respectfully to the process, I believe he's the first ballot hall of famer and, and that's great. I mean, literally got us, I think one of the best catches in the history of the NFL in, in Super Bowl six, uh, yes. you know, in, in 16, and when we were in that, you know, in the middle of the Super Bowl run and we obviously don't finish it off. And I started thinking about all these things and I started thinking about all the darts because when it happened, guys, yes, there were half, half the world were like, your head is up your rear. What are you thinking, Dimitrov? And the other half or, or less might've been like, wow, maybe there is something here. Who knows? We'll see. Time will tell. And I think making those types of big decisions to your point, Eric, they're not easy to make. You know, you know that you have a job and, Arthur was had, had given me the job and, and given me the leeway to make those ultimate decisions, though I was team building side by side at that time with Mike Smith, who was a really good partner in the whole football operations. But ultimately, my, that was my job to go through with this. And I remember saying to myself, 
if we do our process right, if we evaluate as we do and have the faith in our evaluation, and then we take anything that we can learn and supplement, i.e. all the analytics and all the studies that we did, whether it's Julio Jones or whether it was trading for, you know, even two years before in 09, trading for Tony Gonzalez, mm -hmm. that was a big move for us at a very important time early on in our in our building of the Atlanta Falcons. I don't mean to 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 um, you know um, draw uh, move back into history here because I know we're moving forward more, <laughs> but I think you know Tony Gonzalez. I remember saying to Tony's agent, who I'm dear friends with, Doug Hendrickson, and his it was actually his one of his best friends in the business. I said, look, this guy better play more than one year or I will not be around and, yeah. and, and I cannot make this deal for a second rounder. If he's only going to be committed to one year, of course he played for us for five years. It's another really edgy sort of big decision, Eric, that took a lot of thinking. I look back not to ramble about this, but I think it's really important to make this point. When you are making these big decisions in the national football league and you have all this information in front of you and an owner across the way willing to put in, you know, sometimes even hundreds of millions of dollars into a player, there's a lot riding on it. So you have to make yeah. sure that all your T's are crossed and, and I's are dotted. And, and, and again, a big part of that is making sure the numbers are correct in my mind. I remember the Tony Gonzalez trade sort of signaling even more than your 2008 season, which won you executive of the year and was, you know, obviously took a, a Falcons team that I believe was underdogs in week one to the Detroit team that ended up being 0-16, oh, yeah. to the playoffs, you know, in a tough division. Like, I think the Tony Gonzalez trade, even more than the 2008 season, sort of signified that the Atlanta Falcons were back on the map. Like, I thought, you know, a, a Hall of Fame tight end choosing to come and play for the Falcons, I always thought, I thought that was like a stamp of approval that ultimately carried for quite some time. As he, I mean, he played... I mean, he was a he was a guy. Obviously, he played Kansas City for more than a decade. Had already needed, you know, did everything he needed to do, but choosing to go play for the Falcons, I thought was a, you know, one of the, a symbolic thing as well as a, obviously on the field value for you guys. Well, make make no mistake, we looked at in those early years, and I've said this to Bill Polian, and I have a great deal of respect for him. The the mirror of what they surrounded Peyton with during those years. This was a building around. Matt Ryan. I mean, we had Michael Turner that very first year who had no, no wear and tear on his legs. He had four really good years. Then we bring in Tony Gonzalez and then we trade for uh, uh, um, Julio Jones. Those are really important parts. Some will argue we didn't spend enough time in the offensive line and we can talk about that up and down. You know, there's a lot to discuss about it. Um, the reality is as we move towards 16, finally getting to the Super Bowl with a lot of you know, similar players that were built through those earlier years, we came up short for a reason. And uh, again, worthy of a lot of conversation, of course, but um, I'm always looking at drafts, everyone else's drafts, but more importantly, my own to see what we could have done differently and how we would have approached things differently. And if I would have been, you know, I think back to 12 gentlemen, I mean, the year after the Julio Jones yeah. trade, no one left in that 12 draft. Um, you know, took a beating on that, of course. And that happens over the years. The longer you're in this, no one wants it to happen, but you're going to have an errant draft for sure. And you have to, you have to really dig in and be humble enough 
and be real enough to look and see why did we screw that up? What was the genesis for all spinning off? I maintain that it wasn't because of Julio Jones. We didn't hit on our second round pick, which was our first pick of 2012, not because of Julio Jones, but because of some of the things that we did incorrectly during that 12 draft. So uh, we can talk again ad nauseum about 12 and other drafts that may have been misses or hits. Well, humility is such a, uh, we talk about this with the draft and like a lot of times the humility to just admit, hey, I can think I know a lot about a player, you know, but the data tells me I may not know as much as I think, you know, and, and um, just being able to admit that. You know, when, or there when are circumstances outside out. your control. I know, like, I mean, I think. Well, that's that's part of it. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. And I know that there are times, like, I uh, there have been times where people will message me and be like, "Ah, uh, this I didn't think this guy could play," and I and I was up again, and I was against the acquisition to begin with. Um, it sure is fun to see him do well. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's good and bads too, and it's like it just shows how imprecise this process is, but it also shows, you know, the. I, I do think we can get better at it, and I do think that learning from the past is a really is a really, it, you know, it's it's more it's more of a fun exercise for you and me, George, because we don't have as much riding on it. Yeah, but t- obviously, <laughs> like for for you, Thomas, it, it, it's a, an edifying one. I think as well. Um, you know, I, it, it is just a, an amazing thing because again, um, there's a lot of certainty being talked about when we lo- watch the yeah. draft shows and we listen to podcasts and everything. And, and because uncertainty doesn't sell. Well, let me ask you this, Thomas, because we seeing this from our perspective, there's always a, well, you don't know what the NFL teams know, you know, you don't know what GM X, Y, or Z knows about this player. And I'm curious how much you know, from inside the the team perspective, were you guys looking outside to find information about these guys? You know, did you really feel like, oh, we know stuff that no one else knows about these guys? Well, I, I think, you know, you have to you have to know that most teams have a very substantial scouting staff, of course. They mm-hmm. have um, which by the way, and I always say this, they start their research on a specific draft class basically 14 months before the draft yep. they start you know their 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 focus on free agent acquisitions on the pro side about the same time there's a lot of of course a ton of evaluation as far as literally the people that we pay are putting their eyes on these players evaluating up and down entire seasons and of course then some and then we have a whole other part of this that is really really important maybe to what you're alluding to. I'm a huge believer in you have to have a well-rounded starting uh, when you're talking about acquisitions, a well-rounded scouting staff, one that is very good, not only with the adept eyes within the organization and within the scouting staff, but also really, really adept researchers. I don't call them information gatherers because there's an element of research gathering that to me goes way beyond just the character personality. There is so much involved with what we do as an organization getting ready for a draft. There is no way in the world, all due respect to you both, that we'll just look at the numbers of something and make a decision. That is, that's something just like I would not expect our group and myself as a general manager, any general manager, you know, coming through the ranks right now to not 
really hone in on what the numbers are saying. I think mm -hmm. it's so important to be completely well-rounded in both of these areas. And we know, we, in the end, most of the teams I think who are really good. And I would say, you know, there are, there are a lot of really good prepared, well thought out organizations that do a lot of work and get ready for a lot of background information at so many different levels. But the problem is when people just evaluate the draft numbers, they can throw darts at whoever. I mean, I've been in the middle of it, of course, everyone, Jason Light, good friend of mine, just won the Super Bowl. I mean, you know that Jason's taken, taken darts for a long time on, on level. So have other Super Bowl winners. And the reality is it doesn't mean they were wayward in their approach. They had a lot of things in front of them that they decided it was going to sway them that way. Back to what I said a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. gentlemen, and they know their organization better than anyone. And like Eric was alluding to, but sometimes you make a decision on something that you think is right. All things in line, but there could be a character issue. There could be a, there could be uh, sub there could be substance. There could be anything going on here that sways the development of a certain player. And then there's a whole development element of this as well. That is very, very important to, to take into consideration. Yeah, there That's, are this aspect of what we would call like irreducible noise, right? Irreducible error, which is just, you know, you leave it like you could, there's only so much you can do. You could turn every stone on every single player as far as from a character it's, it's perspective like or parents if, who are like, you know, I did everything I could for my yeah. kids and still sometimes yeah, shit happens. happens. I mean, yeah. it happens. I want to talk though about this draft. Okay. Because, um, from the Bay area, California, Thomas, and, uh, I may or may not have a particular interest in, uh, what the 49ers do at number three. Now, Kyle Shanahan, who uh, you know as he was a part of the Falcons organization and that great Super Bowl run. Um, it has been said, I'm paraphrasing here, but widely, Mac Jones is Kyle Shanahan's type of quarterback. And there's a lot of alluding to Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins and so on and so forth. I'm just going to ask you, do you buy the 49ers' Mac Jones linkage? Let me first start by saying, you NorCal guys, I, all my buddies out there says it's, they say God's country. It's God's country. Yes. You head down, you know, they're always talking to me about taking what, what's the highway on the way down from the airport down to Stanford. Cause I always take, the you know, the main highway one. They're telling me to take yeah. whatever it is. And they're always bragging about God's country. So I'm yes. just saying I came from God's country, Colorado. So there's a few God's countries. And even Wisconsin is God's country there, brother, uh, Eric. <laughs> we we so. did. We do call Northern California God's country, although I went to school in Southern California and I'm kind of a convert. I've got, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, you, I still you, love are, you are, you sold out completely to the, <laughs> I sold out to the, the warm, the warm beach, Thomas. Like there's just Northern California, you go to the beach and you're in sweats and a sweatshirt and you're freezing. And then you go to Southern California and Christmas Eve, I'm on the beach in board shorts. Right. No, it's it's crazy. I, I know I, I protracted the conversation. I apologize, but <laughs> yeah. we'll but always, add a little bit of authenticity to we'll it. We'll always protract the conversation to talk about California. Let, let it be let it be clear. We'll be right back with more of Thomas Dimitrov. But before we do that. Got to tell you about some opportunities here because you know, you come to this podcast, you're expecting to hear about ways that you can potentially make some smart investments. DraftKings and DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. Uh, basketball, it's in the final months of the regular season. So here's what they're doing. Use promo code PFF when you sign up 
and you get an opportunity to bet $1 and win $100 if the team of your choosing hits a three-pointer. It's not hard. All teams do are shoot three-pointers. So that $100 turns into $100 of free bets, and then you go put them on win totals. You go put them on draft props. Maybe you get a little Justin Fields love comes back to you. So go use promo code PFF at the DraftKings Sportsbook. I've, I've been uh, accused of not looking interested during mm. uh, rad reads. You and, should just start looking way too interested. And and when you said, when you talked about betting, I, I you perked, perked up a little bit. Yeah, we should put a like a monitor on your brain, see when it lights up. So I, look, I got Eric interested. Maybe you get interested too. You must be 21 or older in Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. No, I'm this starting to get interested. This is for new customers. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Also, Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, which is basically the stock market for sports teams. You go there and you can buy shares of sports teams. Super sweet. You can then profit from those by either selling them when the price goes up or you hold on to them and you get dividends paid out to you when those teams win games. If you deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF, you will get a free PFF annual subscription, an Edge annual subscription. It's a whole year, it's $40 usually. You get it for just a $10 deposit in a super cool site where you can go buy some shares of sports teams right this very instant. Uh, I may or not, may not be buying some Lakers shares in anticipation for the return of the King and a repeat championship run, just saying. So go ahead to symbol.app slash PFF. And now back to Thomas Dimitrov. What do you think about this um, Kyle Shanahan, Mac Jones uh, affection, whatever you want to call it? Well, I, look, I, I, I'm not saying I don't buy it. I think Kyle is very um, in tune with what he wants, of course. I got a, an opportunity close up to see exactly how he operated that way and his, his really detailed understanding of his scheme and his offense and, and the talent and the style of talent that he needed around him, whether it was quarterback or whether it was receiver or tight end or the running backs, I was just always very impressed with that. There was no BSing about that. Obviously, very strong opinions, and he should have strong opinions. He, the, the guy grew up with his, his father looking at that more than most of the offensive coordinators in this league. You know, mm -hmm. So, I mean uh, – before he probably even became a, a college student, who knows, right? So I guess what I would say is on the Mac Jones side of it, I guess I'm not convinced yet, meaning uh, not convinced, that's the wrong word. I don't know. I feel like there are a number of opportunities and, and options for them. I said this the other day to someone that when you make a move like that, you know, that he and, and John Lynch made uh, respectfully to them, those are big moves and, and they have to, again, have, they have to be very well thought out and you have to make sure that you not only have one opportunity that you have to have your scenarios. We were big mm -hmm. on scenarios over the years. I would have myriad scenarios at so many different picks within our whole draft process that I'm sure that they did that. So I don't think personally that it's just one person they are truly looking at. I do believe that one person is there that is extremely important to them and interesting to them. But I think they have to have two and three or uh, number one A and one B very close close by because that's a big, bold move to be making to hang out there without that option if it, if it does fall through. Who are you taking at three? Are you asking Eric that? I can't even remember. No, you. <laughs> I know who Eric's taking at three. Eric and I have made sizable investments. We've talked about this a lot. 
Um, you're up at three. It's gone Lawrence and Wilson, one and two. Yeah, um, you know, I think – now, and I know what's going to happen. You guys are going to get me to say this, and then all of a sudden people are going to start throwing darts at me and say, this guy's not even a GM anymore. No. He's trying to make picks. I- Thomas, uh-huh. Thomas, if oh, that dude. were the bar, being a GM still, yeah. George and I would yeah. would the comments to this. You're you're the you don't you're have the to worry. Yeah, yeah. You're, people are gonna hate on the order it goes in is people rip on me. Yes, and then Eric, and then by that point they've gotten all of their hate out, yep. and they go, "Wow, thank God they had a guest." Yeah, on. you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry at all about like stooping to our level or anything. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Now, look, I, I really believe that the, the next two quarterbacks, of course, this isn't going to be a revelation. I think they both have some very – Mac Jones, of course, and, and Fields. I think they both have, obviously, very interesting attributes that seem as though they would be very attractive to, you know, a scheme in an organization like, you know, like Kyle and John are running out in San Francisco. So, um, you know, that's – I'm not going to I'm not gonna make the call right now, gents. I, what I am going to say is – I don't think they can go wrong at that third pick with what I believe is there. My, my point earlier is literally there are two legit or three legit picks to make in that spot. And I don't mm. think they can go wrong. Uh, who's going to, who's going to thrive in it again. It, it, in my mind, it always depends on who's going to really gel the best with their head coach because he is so, you know, wildly um, in tune with it. And I think that quarterback has to be such as well. Okay. Do you think they know yet? I think they know who they would prefer, but again, I think they also know that make, very, make this very clear, guys. When you're in a draft room, especially as the, the main guy and guys, the two the co-team builders, GM and head coach, head coach and GM, if you pick someone off that board and you pull that tag off the board that has a wah-wah effect within the draft room, not only does that very easily determined by the ownership group, but it is something that is a real morale booster or deflator within that room. So you better be very aware and you better be very in tune with how that's delivered. When you by chance don't get your first choice, you better, you better be very comfortable with number two or trade like hell. Right. I remember that being the one in the Michael Holly's book, the one uh, positive thing about trading you know, well, obviously Julio being the the big positive, but one uh, positive uh, byproduct of it was that all of you got to like essentially go home and and after it and have like some some sort of like celebration, right? Because you didn't have any more picks the rest of the draft. <laughs> that I remember that as a as a good part of that book, yes. which was not only was everybody sold on the Julio move, but then there was there was a sense of relief in the sense that your draft, at least for that day, was was all but over. Yeah, look, there's, I mean, it, it's an enervating process. Again, I talk about 14 months leading up. That whole process, the last two months, and then really digging down in, I can only imagine, uh, you know, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith and what they're going through in their first year and, and a number of first-time GMs and head coaches. Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to watch how they navigate through all of this. Every year it gets more and more interesting, I think, and at, at times even more complicated, of course. There's, but I, I really am interested to see how these first-time uh, tandems are, are going to pull off the, their moves and how they're going to build their team.
What I am taking uh, away, by the way, Thomas, from your statements, you said you weren't going to make a pick, but I'm reading the tea leaves here. Okay. You said you don't want to make a pick where the whole deflates the whole room. George really wants the Niners so, to pick Justin Fields. So that I would, everything I would is sort think, of like – I would think they probably wouldn't want to pick a whoopee cushion as their quarterback. So I think Justin Fields is going to be the pick. <laughs> Ta- <laughs> What's yeah, your definition joking, of a whoopee yeah. cushion? I'm sure Eric doesn't agree with that. Uh, I am – so here's my thing. I just – I Mac Jones to me is an average quarterback maybe can get to – Kirk Cousins level, maybe he can be a 10-12 quarterback in his in his best year. And I go back to the trade that we were just talking about. You do not make a trade of that much capital up to pick number three for anything other than a chance at getting someone that is a top five quarterback in the NFL. And as and that to me is Justin Fields. And it's Justin Fields for a multitude of reasons, not just the athleticism. He's incredibly accurate what he would allow Kyle Shanahan to do. I believe, even though his scheme has been built on making quarterbacks that are not very mobile or that are, you know, precision passers look really good, I have faith in Kyle Shanahan making a, creating a scheme that makes Justin Fields look pretty damn good. So um, to me, I just think that that is, that is the choice. And honestly, after that, after Fields, I would take Trey Lance before Mac Jones. Interesting. Well, look, Trey... Trey versus Lance. I mean, look, I, I think, um, uh, or I, I mean, Fields, the field situation, I think, is really, really interesting for that organization. And, and to your point, he's very talented. And I guess what I'm saying is Kyle has the opportunity and, and the background and the understanding to be able to make the most out of a guy like Fields, who has a, you know, a great deal of talent in a lot of different areas. So uh, that's, that's a good pick. Now back to your, your comments about, you know, about Mac. I mean, you know, he's done some really special things. I think uh, special it depends on what your evaluation or your, your definition of special is. I, I sense it has something to do with whoopee cushion. Um, but, but needless to say, I mean, how, how you play that out. I mean, yeah. they moved up for a reason to your point in the very end, not to spin this around. And I think they have a really good understanding of what they're going to pull off the board at that point. And, you know, it could be the guy that you're, you're hoping for, but it might not. And that <laughs> leaves us to, not that I'm yeah. running this, I'm being very evasive here, Eric, but then all of a sudden if one of those quarterbacks is taken from Georgia, the state of Georgia is what yeah. I'm saying, uh, that you're referring to, that, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's Atlanta at four. And don't ask me to tell you what I think Atlanta should do, but I, I want to hear I'm what not. you guys think Atlanta should do. I'm not. That's a good. I, so you're saying so in this scenario, it would go Lawrence Wilson Jones. I'm in a puddle on the ground. Yeah. So you get to make the call first. Yeah. George. Atlanta George do? is crying because his favorite team didn't pick the quarterback he wants. So is life. Um, <laughs> but in my opinion, I think at four, if you're Atlanta, you have a really good opportunity with Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan. In, in the next two years, you you lose some of the edge associated with a young quarterback's contract, um, you know, because he's going to sit for at least a year and a half, I would say. So I would probably hold the pickup and try to trade it to Denver, trade it to a team that really wants mm-hmm. uh, Justin Fields. 
if I can't get anything, I do. Th- I do take Justin Fields at four. I, but I, but I would, I would try to get out of it. Um, I would try to hold because you know that team has some talent still on it. The issue has always been the last few years. It's not necessarily top end talent or even median talent. It's depth, and so the more depth you can get with trading back and getting multiple picks. I think that team's a playoff team if they if if they can withstand injuries like the bad luck they've had over the past few years. I think I think they're a playoff team if they can if they reinforce let's say the back end of the defense and even maybe even part of the offensive line in a in a quality offensive line draft. I would. I'm trying to think about the best um, m- metaphor here. I would get. I would sprint. I would uh, hopscotch, I would somersault, I would cartwheel. There would be fireworks to the podium for me to select Justin Fields. Okay. And that said, that's me, even though I have talked about this, Thomas, on this very podcast, that I believe that the Atlanta Falcons, and I think Matt Ryan still has juice. I think he's still got some left in the tank. So I, I, I think they can be one of the best offenses in the NFL next year. But think about this. You talked about this earlier. How often do you get to pick in the top five when there are quarterbacks of this quality there? And so the worst time to try and find a quarterback is when you really need one. I I would take Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is the guy that's probably deserving of a top one, two pick in most drafts. So that's what I'd do. Well, no, I I was I was going to say you guys both very valid. The, The trade back scenario, Eric, is is, you know, something that seems easy but at times it's not again if there if there are takers it's one thing if there aren't you better have of course that really sound understanding and the feeling within that draft room that you're doing the right thing and that it wasn't you know panic stricken um sort of repercussion picks that we're picking at four because we really didn't want to be there um to, to have to be sitting in that spot as a general manager and to have an opportunity to take a quarterback like Justin Fields, who has a lot of talent in a lot of different ways, and also have, and, and most important and even more important, I think, have a quarterback like Matt Ryan, who, as you know, I have a great deal of affinity for, and I think he can still win a Super Bowl. Um, won't, won't get into the specifics of that. I do believe that. I'm with the you. Idea I'm of, with you. Yeah, the idea of bringing in a guy like, you know, like a talented quarterback, I'm not saying it will ever be a situation where it's like Aaron Rod, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre where it was four years. I don't think it happens that way in this league anymore. But Matt, with Matt as a mentor, um, there are some major positives to, to work with a guy like, you know, whoever that may be, if it is, if it is Fields or if it is another quarterback that, that may be on their, on their list. The reality is, though, to move back, I wanted to bring up this yeah. to you a little bit, Eric. You're sitting as a quarterback in a city that's hanging on the side of their, on the edge of their seat, trying to figure out what's going to go on. You're not supposed to be affected, right, Eric, by media barbs or or Twitter or whatever it is. Because by the way, GMs, we don't have Twitter accounts. At least they're not our accounts. I never have had one. I've been dissuaded. But you realize, you know, you have an ownership and a, an owner in in Arthur Blank who cares a lot about the media, excuse me, not the media, the fan base, because mm-hmm. he is a steward to the fan base. And he wants to make sure that his general manager and his head coach are making the best decision for not only the here and now, but for the long term of this organization. And that is a very, very 
intricate and sort of multi-layered conversation between a GM and an owner, a GM and the head coach and the owner. Believe me, it's 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 it doesn't just stop at yeah, you kind of like this, I kind of like this, let's go forward. It's <laughs> yeah. it's complicated. It's well, complicated. It's that's so fascinating because for us, we're always sitting there like, oh, this team should trade down. How could? And, and I'll bring up this exact scenario. I, I'm looking. Let's say we're at that pick at four. Doesn't it stand to reason, at least in your mind, that there should be a bidding war for that pick, or am I? Are we again overestimating teams' affinity for these players? Because the, the Denver Broncos desperately need a quarterback. That the New England Patriots could maybe make a move up. Um, you look at the Carolina Panthers. I mean, I know they just traded for Sam Darnold, but if Justin Fields is there, are, is there one of those scenarios that sticks out to you as being like, oh, that's for sure going to show up, like the Denver Broncos maybe? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you you look at the teams that ostensibly need quarterbacks. To, to your point, I think that the idea is it. if I'm sitting in that spot, again, I'm not. I want to make sure everyone's very clear of this. I am no longer, of course, in that spot. Terry Fontenot, I, I I have a great deal of respect for him. I like him a lot, and I think you know he's got a he's got a big he's got a, a, a big decision on his hands. Of course, along with with Arthur uh, Smith on this, but that trade if they start entertaining trade opportunities, it better be in my mind again as a former GM, it better be well worth it. It can't just be eh, that's good. That was kind of a win-win situation. It, it I, In my mind, it has to have some element of lopside, and I'm not a big believer in taking advantage of teams. I'm, I've always believed the way you get trades done, not only today, but for years to come, is to have good working relationships with other uh, of your contemporaries within the league. Back in the day, many, many, many years ago, when there was a lot of screwing of people, didn't matter what mm -hmm. happened, that doesn't fly anymore. In this league, if, you're, if, if it isn't some semblance of win-win, then – you know, then I don't think you have a long-term ability to trade. That's a whole other topic of conversation, guys. My point, however, is in this situation, when you're sitting that high and hoping to never get back to four, mm -hmm. at least for a long time, it better be well worth your while to move out of that area of, of quarterback area. Well, it's especially when you talk about somebody who's a new general manager that yes, sort of popped into point. my mind. It's like – Well, Denver you, has a new one too. Yeah, you're a veteran in the position – you're going to have contacts like you see the same th teams trade with each other all the time right it was but because they haven't you know mm -hmm. but if you're a new general manager you may you may have people from your old organization who you like you said don't want to fleece or you might just not have the contacts or the experience doing it and and to your point you also like you the what's the phrase from rounders you can you can uh, shear a sheep w many times but you can skin it once <laughs> so if you go through and you absolutely bludgeon a team for that for that pick in your first year as a gm and no one wants to trade with you ever again is that really worth it right. when the alternative could have been Justin Fields like i think well, but, you you bring up some great points thomas but I, that that to me should make it win win so I, i'm going to ask you thomas so let's say the the Broncos pick up the phone, they call you, or they hit you up on t the Twitter account that no one else can find. <laughs> they say, "Hey, Thomas, um, you know, here's what we're gonna offer. We're gonna give you nine. We're gonna give you a two this year and another one next year. What's your? Maybe you have a number in mind, but like, what's your play? How do you play that? Are you just hanging up the phone immediately and then calling back with a counteroffer? How do you play it? No, I think again." 
I'm I'm a big believer in in getting your ducks in line and 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 what's the line we've used many times. I'm sure it's probably old and, and overused, but prepare in times of peace, bleed less in times of war. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I had all of that mapped out in my mind for for whatever team that I flew up and down the the uh, the call lines, and I and I. I had a history of doing that. That was my way. I mean, you can ask anyone in our draft room. I was very, very active and I did not pass it along to anyone else within the, in the draft room to be doing it on the side and keep me updated. Mm-hmm. I thought that was my job to make sure that I ran the trade line because I think that is our jobs as general managers to be able to negotiate properly, to be able to tap into our relationships with people to make sure we're getting the right is as right of information as we can and to know that when I am calling someone, there is enough trust. If it's someone, the back end of the room, who's trying to do that deal for me as a general manager, no no disrespect to their abilities in the back of the room. The reality is they don't have the cachet and the, and the background to be able to possibly do it as effectively. So my point is having everything in line and knowing what I was expecting and hanging up that, that call and and ruminating on it with the head coach first i turned to the head coach of course i will tell him what was you know what was talked about in the conversation i'll look over the table and talk to our owner at that point and and then you know continue to have that conversation and then i'll i'll dig back into a conversation with dan and at times at least mike smith and dan in the end of course dan and i together down the stretch and you know made some decisions at times you might even get up and walk out of the room and go to another computer or another whiteboard and start mapping things out. Mm-hmm. Even though there might've been 40 people in the draft room, I did like my semblance of, of quiet and, and thoughtfulness during those modes when we had to make a big time decision like that. So it's not just flying off the seat of the pants. Love this deal. Let's go. Let's yeah, make yeah. it. Let's not always think about, you know, the repercussions of it. And, and so that's a long winded way of saying there is a lot more to it than just hanging up the phone and say, Oh, are you kidding me? Let's take this. Yeah, yeah. So did you guys use the yeah. the we talk a lot about trade value charts. Did you guys have your own custom one? Did you know which teams were using the Jimmy Johnson one? Did that play? Like did you when you were mapping out the trades were you going, "Okay, I know this GM's going to use this value chart." You know, was that something that was playing into your calculus? So we had we had we always had to go to the, the go-to chart that has been around forever that the media refers to as a Jimmy Johnson chart within mm-hmm. our world. We never refer to it as that anymore because of course, Jimmy's so well-respected and such a great guy in so many ways, but people want to claim it kind of as their own. They don't want to be thinking Dallas Cowboys or Miami okay. Dolphins in their own building. So we call it the old chart, basically the traditional chart. And then most teams started working on their own chart. The problem with using your own modified chart and adjusted chart, which is, probably exponentially more um, effective than the first chart that was out there. Um, I, there was no, there was no synchronicity. So if I would bring something up about a chart that I, and we had worked on within the Atlanta Falcons, but I was talking to the Broncos or the mm-hmm. Browns, they're talking to me about something. And we're talking two different languages. Yeah. Interestingly enough, yeah. it became very obfuscated when you start talking about two different charts and then we were folding back into the traditional chart. It, it became really complicated. So a lot of people do use it as their own. Okay. Well, we're going to go off this chart. That chart says that according to the other team who was using the traditional chart, now we'll go to our chart and we'll try to analyze it. But when you start trying to talk about 
switching the trades and the compensation and you start referencing your new adjusted mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, project of, of expertise it doesn't fly with another team it really doesn't so you're mentioning you're actually saying hey this is what our chart says yeah. and saying you know oh, it makes sense for both of us kind of deal but I have no idea what chart you're yeah, talking about. It's like about. walking. It's like walking into a store and being like, "Look, I think I've priced all these items <laughs> yeah. out. Like, let me buy them." Here are some and, rare marbles. And, for and you. the other thing that we've always <laughs> talked about it, which is what causes I think biases in the trade market, is that oftentimes you don't have the correct change, right? And that's where sort of like you can say that pick four is worth pick twenty three and thirty seven, but you don't have picks twenty three yeah. or thirty seven. So then oftentimes you have to throw in a player or throw in a couple. And like obviously seventh round picks, it's like how much are those worth kind of thing. And it, it, that's where, you know, that's how the market becomes efficient, but through the inefficiency of a bunch of trades. And and, and almost all the time we look at them very minutely, like very yeah. acutely and say, this one trade, Atlanta got the best of Seattle. And this one, but it's like I mean, this is a marketplace just like any other where the efficiency is derived from the collection of a bunch of what on the surface look like inefficient trades. Right. I, I mean, I would be trying well, hey, I'd be trying to take advantage was, of it. I'd be trying to find out gonna, what other people's charts were. And I'd be I'd be saying, OK, this guy was he's going to like this trade. We believe this is smart for us picking up the phone. No, look, I, I, there's, there are so many machinations to it. I think, I mean, so many levels, and I, I really, you, you also have to think you're in the middle of something that you think is so really basic. With you know, when you're you know as smart as you guys are from a number standpoint, and yet there are so many other levels. There are relationships that that GM has with that GM, mm-hmm. the head coach has with that head coach, potentially working another deal, three or four picks down down the line. There, there are to you know how someone personality is going to fit in may have an adjustment and an effect on you know <laughs> the whole compensation compensation discussion and again you know what what's one man's treasure is another man's you know whatever i mean the reality is it just depends on, on how we look at it and what we think is fair when we did I only bring up julio or any of the trades that we ever did over the years in, in atlanta we looked at them good and hard, and in the end, we felt comfortable with them. We would never have done them if we felt, uh, you know, just you know, over a, a, a barrel or whatever the line is. Mm-hmm. You know, we we never did. We we felt like we really honed in on it and made the, the the choices that we felt were the best for the organization. I mean, I can go all the way back very quickly to, you know, we draft Matt Ryan uh, in 08. Mm-hmm. We turn around that same year later on in the first round, and I. I and we took a lot of heat, but ultimately I did for, for trading up for Sam Baker. Mm-hmm. People can say whatever they want to say about Sam Baker. We, come hell or high water, we're going to get a left tackle. We were not going to enter into our time with who was going to be what we thought was our savior without a bona fide up-and-coming uh, tackle. Would he have been a second rounder? Probably. But we weren't going we to risk. We decided we were going to move up. A few more spots. Maybe he was an early second rounder, 35 or 35, 38, 40. You know, so we felt it was worthwhile. But we did that trade, which was a little bit lopsided, but it, it meant the most for us to do the trade at that time because it was the secondary or the sorry, the number one thought was making sure that we were taking care of Matt Ryan and we could build with him with a with a legitimate enough growing tackle. 
Matt Ryan is underrated. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited this year for everyone to realize that uh, Matt Ryan has not lost it. I think he's going to have an awesome year this year. Um, Thomas, you have been so generous with your time. I have a couple of quick hitters that we have to know. We have to get these uh, these answered, these very important questions answered before George you leave looking us. at me like... Um, the, first, <laughs> the first one is you mentioned a podcast that you're listening to on the road. And um, we have a hard time getting out of the football world. So we're always looking for good podcasts that are non-football related. Toss us a few of your favorites. Okay, so I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. Okay. I don't know if you guys listen to him. He's, you know, multi-genre, of course. He is killing it right now, of course. Um, I was going to say to you guys, I'm not usually a big fan of long, long-form podcasts because I don't know, if you don't have a job, maybe if you're a fired executive from the NFL, you can listen to three-and-a-half-hour Joe Rogans. <laughs> He's obviously yeah. great. Um, I'm a big uh, – I love uh, – there's a, there's a uh, podcast out there that's called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And that is for all of us, a personality people that are in the building all the time, working our butts off. And I have to understand the importance of what's essential to be the best person you are, the most championship capable uh, head coach or GM. And Dan and I had a really good sort of link with essentialism way, way back when we started back in 15, I've gotten to know Greg McEwen well, and he's got some good guests on there. So I appreciate uh, that. I have myriad health and fitness and mind, body, and soul, um, you know, podcasts that I really like, especially when I'm driving like this, because it reminds me of how important it is uh, to make sure that, you know, again, we can be doing all this stuff, but if we're not, if we're not staying healthy, um, you know, then, then obviously we're not, we're not going to be reaping the benefits of all of our so-called uh, riches. And I say that lightly, of course. <laughs> yeah. The, the essentialism one's great. I mean, I, the the book was uh, amazing. I think when it came out, and obviously there's been. I think the other one. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, deep work um, uh, by. I'm got, forgetting the guy's name, but like draws from that a, a, a decent amount. Um, and you know, just this idea of sort of like stripping things down to their essence. I think that that's a great. Uh, I just think those are those are uh, you know great suggestions. So are you mindful? There's a, one last one. Broken brain by Drew Pruitt. Ooh. Pruitt broken brain and they have you know the the big deal right now gentlemen i don't want to go off on this but i love the idea of making sure you guys are brain people making sure that we're taking care of our brain as we age of course you can take the podcast like broken brain or you can take an audio book like you know um, um sanjay gupta who just put out i think it's stay sharp i loved it you want to talk about getting ahead of the, the game on keeping your brain healthy and and trying to limit the effects of, of course, dementia and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Alzheimer's and whatever else is the situation. I mean, where, where he is right now on the, the research as well. There's two other ones very quickly, cancer code and, and um, fasting good. code are two unbelievable books that just came out recently that are talking about the newest evidence. Cancer code is one that I've had on my list to start big proponent of saying fuck cancer. Um, yeah. The last question I have for you, very important one. It's the most important question we've asked you all day. How many barbers do you have? Do you have one? Would you go to anyone to let you cut your hair? What does that look like? Uh, I've had the same uh, barber for probably, I'd say, 13 years since oh, I was, yeah. since I got, actually 12 years. 
one year I was with someone else. So oh. same person in Atlanta and uh, she's, she's fantastic. And, and she, uh, she's not trying to move on from me now that I'm no longer with the Falcons. So that's a good thing. <laughs> what did you ask for the first time? Did you go in and, cause you were 12 years ago, that was a little ahead of the game. Like I remember when David Beckham did the undercut and it was like, holy yeah. shit. And that's when I got it. Um, but it's, I think you were a little ahead of the game, right? Well, I, I don't know. I was I was taking some some lead, and all I really wanted was something that was main. You know, I could maintain and and still uh, do my activities that I love to do. And and she came up with something pretty high and tight. And but but I've always been one that believes in having a little bit on the top while you can, because you never know, right? <laughs> yes. Everyone know what tomorrow brings. Tom, Thomas, I think you and George uh, are uh, kindred spirits in many ways. George has, to my count, uh, as one of as one of his friends. <laughs> Has gotten his hair cut in Cincinnati exactly one time. It was it was out of desperation. It went so poorly. <laughs> it went so poorly, Thomas, that I almost lost all of my friends. I almost lost my job. The barber almost lost his life. Yep. Uh, that was the that was the that was the most risky thing if we're talking about process and results. So I've gone to the same person. Uh, I've, I've basically had two barbers in my lifetime. And, wow. and, and way to relate to your to our listeners some mm -hmm. more, George. Thank you. As, see, Thomas, this is why you're safe because everyone just comes at me and hates on me because it's very easy. Well, you guys, you guys out in San Francisco in that area have some great barbers that are really good. You know that that carve into the face so amazingly, right? I don't have heavy hair to be to be shaven like you probably do, but you know there there are people out there on the West Coast. I, I'm sure they're everywhere, but they just they end up having a really good feel for. Uh, creating uh, some facial uh, cuts that you and I can't do alone. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Don't try these at home. Um, <laughs> Thomas Dimitrov, two-time, right? Two-time executive mm -hmm. of the year, uh, joining us from a undisclosed location near a mountaintop. Thomas, we appreciate you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we wish you all the best. And we hope we'll talk to you again soon. I had a lot of fun, guys. I appreciate you. Thank you. Uh, Thomas, he was super generous with his time and even pulled over to a truck stop literally to talk to us. Yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I thought I thought the discussion around the Julio trade was really interesting. Mm. Um, I think obviously it worked out for them, right? It, it made it's probably not a trade we would make for a non quarterback, but it's probably one of the rare cases where Julio's generated enough war where it sort of like covered the multitude of picks afterward. Um, but also sort of thinking of him thinking about it in retrospect and really having the humility and saying even, you know, having sort of, you know, laying out for us his uncertainty associated with at the time and even now that it's quote worked out, uh, I thought was interesting. I was just really, I, I thought that was very interesting. I thought the fact that he confirmed that Justin Fields would be the guy that the 49ers were going to take. Um, you know, is super reassuring well, uh, for me. Don't you think that this entire thing, I, and I don't want to belabor the Justin Fields point anymore, but it's got to be because the, this, well, for one, that from the Niners' perspective, throwing uncertainty against the wall, right, only benefits them in the sense that, it, let's say the Jets were to be like, let's say the Jets were, you know, the fields got puffed up so much by the media because I mean, San Francisco 49ers, they're ready to like riot out in the I streets know, know. if they take Mac Jones. So like, let's say you're San Francisco and you actually prefer Zach Wilson. 
But this uproar for Justin Fields causes Fields to go second, and you end up getting Wilson. That benefits you right. in a way that just being like, hey, we're taking Justin Fields doesn't, right? And uh, obviously, like, you know, if the worst case scenario is you get Fields, like, that's a really good thing too, right? So I don't um, – and from the, from the network's perspective – the first two picks being locks, like don't help anybody, right? The third pick being like literally if the first hour of draft coverage of the actual picks is what Atlanta's doing gonna do it for, like that's not great either. So I can see the And the Niners on- are such a powerful organization. So it it, do- it makes that doubly important because they get to cover that. Yeah, I mean a- to follow in the footsteps of YA Tittle, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, JT O'Sullivan. JT O'Sullivan, friend Thank of the you. show. Friend of the show. Um, anyways, that was, uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview. We will of course be back with you on Sunday, getting close to draft. We'll, we'll uncover some more value. We'll talk some win totals. It'll be a lot of fun. You want to show up, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We appreciate you. Thank you. Peace out.